Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Every issue that this world faces, even the current generation and in what we are up against uh, in the world at large, I'm not going to go through all the headlines, you know them, is a spiritual issue. The Bible teaches us that everything that happens in the darkness of the evil kingdom, the evil that's within men's hearts, the evil that is distributed throughout the globe, comes because of a spiritual disconnection. It has a spiritual source. It doesn't start itself in just the actions of man or the actions on the streets of our cities. It starts in the hearts of men. It takes an amazing God who loves us to turn things around. Real change, real turnaround, the real blessing upon a country or a life or a family is always based on the spiritual condition. The condition of the hearts. The condition not just of the hearts of the leaders in any land, but the hearts of the people. More specifically, and, and one thing we must own, the hearts of the Christians. How far our hearts can fade from the calling and the things that God has for us. Israel found this over and over again in their journey. When they had faith in God and when their God was number one and he was the core of their worship and every energy and faculty of their being was towards him, the nation lived in a blessed way. And when the nation lived in, the blessed way, in a blessed way, so did the families, so did the children, so did the individuals of all shapes and sizes. We all are blessed when our hearts are connected to God. Israel had a problem though. Their hearts would continuously stray. They would go away from the Lord and they would begin to embrace and engage in things that God cannot bless, that God will not bless. Grace is an amazing thing. It's a condition that God has created in which you can both know him and grow in him. But both are conditional upon your choice. First, to know him. What a believer or a Christian is is somebody who has utilized grace to know God. When it comes to growing in God, that takes also choice. And grace provides that choice. If we do not utilize that choice, growth does not happen in our hearts. And if it doesn't happen in our hearts, it doesn't happen in our marriages, it doesn't happen in our families or any of the roles of life that we carry. Instead, you will find that your heart is caught up with the other things that this life can consume you with. The advantages of freedom, the advantages of God's blessing upon a place is that you can use it in the wrong way. We find that with Israel at a certain time in their history over and over again, but I've chosen one just to refer to. And I'm gonna to read to you a condition that had existed. First Samuel 7, 3 
through four, and it basically says this. Then Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are turning to the Lord with all your heart, then get rid of all the foreign gods and the Astartes you have. Set your heart on the Lord, worship him only. Set your heart on the Lord, worship him only. Then he will deliver you from the Philistines' power. These were the age-old enemies of Israel. It was, the, it was the race that produced the Goliath and his brothers, which opposed uh, Israel, and you would already know the story of David and that one. Then he will deliver you from the Philistines' power. So the Israelites got rid of the Baals and the Astartes, and they worship the Lord only. I want to talk to you about taking back God's blessings. You know, grace provides a lot of things that you probably are not living in. It'll show up in the way that you're living within your family, within your own life, and within your own responses to life. Grace is something that provides the opportunity. Grace is something that provides the gifts. The application, the, the utilization, comes down to our choices and how we practice what we've been given. If you're gonna take back God's blessings, you're gonna to have to do exactly what the Israelites were counseled by the prophet Samuel to do. There was a kind of a funny story actually transpired just before this. You can read it in 1 Samuel chapter four through seven. And in this particular story, the ark of God, which you already know is the ark of the covenant, and uh, you know that that was a thing that God said, this is gonna represent my presence here on earth amongst you, Israel. And so it became the core and the center of the tabernacle worship. Well, there was a time when they went to battle and they ended up losing that ark. They had lost it because the priesthood, the ones before Samuel, had compromised. They had compromised what God wanted to do in the nation. And they began to take for themselves all of the things that only God deserved. And so God withdrew his blessing and the ark was captured by the Philistines. Now they took it home to their particular cities, their core city first, and they put it in the, the temple of their god, which was named Dagon. And whenever they, they would put it within this, this temple, and then the next morning when they would get up and the priests of Dagon would go in there, they would find Dagon on his face broken before the ark. That happened a couple of different times and then pretty soon they started to have physical problems. They started to see kind of plague things take place and, and, and so they tried to move it to a different city but it only then followed them there and the same things were happening. In fact, they did this repeatedly and they couldn't find a safe place to compromise God's presence. The ark wasn't meant. The presence of the Lord will not bless where he is not the only one that is worshiped. So they end up, they say, what are we gonna do about this? So they get some wisdom from their priests of Dagon and they say, you gotta put this on a new cart and uh, have it towed by uh, some cows that have just, uh, just have had calves and don't let the calves come and send it back. And they did. It was at this point that we pick up the story where there had to be a change in the nation of Israel to again receive the presence of God. They wanted it, they missed it, but for them to get it, they were gonna to have to give up some things. You may have heard the term Ichabod. It's, a, it's actually part of the story, it comes out. 
just means the glory of the Lord has departed, the presence of the Lord. Glory and presence, same thing. Presence of the Lord has departed. The idea of this story is that this lady who was the, the, one of the priests that had compromised so badly, she was pregnant. She gave birth to a son when she heard that Israel had lost the ark of the presence, was gone, and she gave birth immediately. She fell down the pavement and gave birth. She named, she named the boy Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. There's a lot of things you can take back in life, but there's one thing you never want to miss, and that is the presence of God that you get to grow in and that you get to enjoy. As a believer, you might need to take back the presence of God. You may need to do some things for that to happen. You may have to address some things in your life that you know there has been some ongoing disobediences in your life to God, some clarities of truth that you're not responding to. The church can lose the presence of God. All you got to do is travel Europe. And when you travel some of the great cities of Europe, you're going to see some of the most amazing cathedrals. You know, a cathedral was basically built to the glory of God. It was to, to show how great God was. That's why the spires reaching up to heaven, how great God is. It was built from the hearts of people passionately that loved God. But now, I remember one visit to England that I took, and we were in uh, York. And the great cathedral of York is really something to behold. And we went in and admired the amazing architecture. It was a Sunday. And there was only a handful of people in this massive cathedral. What had happened? I can tell you that what had happened is going to rise right along the idea of losing the presence of God because of the compromises that we will make. And God is not a compromising God with you. Grace does not mean God compromises. It means he paid for it. So there will be no compromise. Right next door to it, was in another church. It was a humble. It was sort of meant to be sort of a, a very small rendition, a simple rendition. It's not the great cathedral, but it sat on the same grounds. And when we walked into that church, it was jammed. People were singing. The preaching of the gospel was going forth. It was quite an amazing can you just say contrast? What was, what is? God's always going to move where the hearts are passionately connected to him. God's always going to be with the group who loves him and has put him in his rightful place. God is always going to move with them. When we take a look at not just churches or individuals' lives, but even lands, 
our great land of Canada, it's not just going through some trauma in the last three weeks. It's been going through a compromise for generations. This is where it will lead. It leads to a land that has lost its moorings. It has lost its values. It has lost, it has lost its place in the world for power, for that which could be really, really good because it had a way for the spiritual base of issues to be dealt with. This land was established with Christian values, principles, biblical standards. I didn't say it met all of them, but that never did away with them. You won't meet all of God's standards on your own, but you must not put them away from you. But it has continued so that now standards are not just not being met by us in the perfection, but it is actually where the standards are being put away, that the absolute truths of scriptures that once dominated the raising of children in this land no longer are a part of that education or a part of their formation. No longer is the family held in the regard of what scripture says it is. No longer is a husband or a wife seem to be as encapsulated by the truths and the cost of that kind of relationship and willing to sacrifice and build and keep their lives growing together. No longer do we find within our, our land this idea of a humbleness before God that we in our sin are always going to need the great grace of God and it's our humility and the humbleness that puts us on our knees. That's what's changed the most. It's always predictable though. This is the pattern. But you as a Christian, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, are one that not only can break that pattern, but can be a part of returning that pattern to homes, to lives. Now we come to the existence of Christ's church. Christ's church is something that is passed on from generation to generation. It is something that houses the, 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 the most important purposes of God on this planet. There's really only a couple of things for us to do to take back God's blessing. Two overriding tasks. One, edification. It's an old word, but it's not so old. It just means to make stronger or to strengthen or to lift up, to undergird, another old word, to support, encourage. The Christian church is meant to be that kind of place. But how do we encourage, how do we edify if we do not hold on to the truths that hold us accountable to our actions? How can that which becomes self-centered be still remain others-centered? How can we build churches that are, that are gauged only by experience and not with the actions? 
that God is asking for? These are big questions in our day. It's a big question for us as a church that we, if we want God's continued blessing, and we do, there needs to be edification, strength building between all. We're gonna break that down a little bit today. The second thing that we have to house, only these two overriding tasks, is the conversion of sinners. I've been working that term for some weeks now. It's a term that many people are uncomfortable with. You know, the Bible talks about this, that light makes darkness very uncomfortable, and that darkness hates the light. And do you know why darkness hates light? Because light exposes. And when we use a term like sinner, it's like, just exposing. You no longer can just stay in a victim class of what was done for you. When you own the title of sinner, you cannot say, well, this is why I am what I am, and so what chance do I have? Sinner is the beginning of the grace of God. Sinner produces and tests the humility of the hearer whether our hearts are ready to receive really truth about ourselves and about God, or whether we want to continue to play the con that somehow we are the gods of our own life and we'll work it out with him later. The church is there for the conversion of sinners. I got a text on Friday night from Pastor Angela after our last fun Friday night. They ran well over 100 kids. I can't remember the exact number, but it's a big number. They had a bunch of new ones too that night. She always gives me a breakdown. And then she said this, and, and, and Angela, when she gets really excited about something, like every sentence has an exclamation mark usually, okay? You know what I'm talking, when you get those texts, it's exclamation mark, exclamation mark, you know? So, you know, then I, saw, I had a few of these lines in this particular text from her that had, I, I, I kind of laughed because I think in total the whole text to me had like 20 exclamation marks, you know, at some pacing within these six lines and she said, 10, at least 10 children tonight gave their hearts to Jesus. But folks, I get that almost every two weeks because that's how often fun Friday nights are. I get, well, tonight we had five kids tonight. You know what is remarkable about that is not just that these children are finding the gospel and the Holy Spirit readies the heart even in the young, but that we have a leader that's still impassioned and understands there's only a couple things to do on this planet. Edification, make each other stronger. Lift each other up. Connect more deeply with each other. Challenge each other. Hold each other accountable. Lift each other up in the times that we need it, but make each other stronger. And the conversion of sinners, even little sinners. 
How many of you know that your children are just little sinners? Some of you say, oh yeah, I get it now. Now just try to raise them out of that with, oh, you're just a victim. There's no redemption is anything that's not true. If you want to redeem something back, you must start with the truth. Conversion of sinners. So those two things are really the overriding tasks of the church. And that's the overriding tasks, by the way, of you as a parent in your home. And it's the overriding tasks of you as an individual in your marketplace. We can at this time just stand and pray for our nation. But you see, what will happen the moment you start to do that is that God is going to say, okay, but the nation, I've already have the answer for, but I need laborers. I need individuals. I need Christians, my people. I need them to go and be a part of this work of mine. So I have a little bit of a proposition for you today. One is that you don't just pray for a nation generally because God wants to say, okay, well, let's start with you. And let's start with who you're connected to. And let's start with the connections that are Christian. Are you edifying? Are you edifying in your home? Are you edifying in your place of work? Are you edifying in your church? Are you edifying in the teams that you serve on? Are you edifying? Are you involved in the conversion of sinners? Are you praying? Are you caring? Are you sharing? I'm going to give you some things that God's going to come back and talk to you about if you really want to have God's blessings really powerfully upon your life. There's something where Jesus, is, or, uh, yeah, Jesus is talking, he said he was going to bless the preaching of the gospel. Wherever it would happen, he said, blessings will follow that. He told the disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, guys, you're not here to know the times or the seasons. That's the things the power has, that the, the Father has held in his own authority. But I'm going to make you my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the planet. He's saying, I'm going to actually be sending you out. So what does he tell them to do? He tells them to go and pray. Good, good thing to do. Let me give you some things. Be obedient to prayer for power. 
If you want God's blessings on your life, your family needs God's blessing, your life needs God's blessings, you need a greater, richer experience and walk with God and you're tired of the shadows and you want to really have the passion and the heat, you don't want to be like Israel where it's really easy to fall into these other little gods, you're tired of that kind of walk in the middle line on that, well, here's where you start. You have an obedience to pray for power. Prayer. Acts 1.14 says, all were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So this is just after Jesus has ascended. They're getting together now in what was called the upper room, and they are having prayer. They're de- in fact, says that they're devoted to it. They were united in their devotion to prayer. They all agreed, we need, we need to pray. That the we might be you and your wife. In your church, you need to be praying. You need to pray for power. That's where they all started. Prayer is the foundation of God's connection with you. It brings heaven and earth together. It takes what is powerless and attaches it to that which is absolute power. And you say, but I'm not good at it. Well, I don't know how you're evaluating that or what you're putting inside that evaluation. For me, it really doesn't matter. Because prayer is not something you get good at. I don't even know how to measure that. Usually that's just sort of a spiritual pride statement. It didn't say, be good at prayer. It said just pray. You know, if you want to, if you're kind of treating it sort of as competitive, lift you up by the bootstraps better than other Christians, your prayers will be totally ineffective anyway. Prayer. Prayer comes out of deep humility because we recognize there's nothing in us that can take on the Goliath, that can take on this big of a challenge. It is him or him alone. You've got those challenges. Brent asked you that question today or made that statement that you all are going to have certain challenges that you're up against. Prayer is the beginning because it's where you touch heaven, but more importantly, heaven touches you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More or less, for God's will to be done, it starts in heaven. Prayer accesses heaven. It doesn't start on earth. You don't solve the injustices in your family or in your life or in your nation or in this world through starting on earth. All of those things have a spiritual rope. They just grow deep out of this disconnection in God. Prayer closes that. Prayer grabs onto God and it says, I need this to change and for this to change, I have to start in heaven. That's where you start. He goes one step further, you know. We go into chapter two now of the book of Acts. Do you know what the most important holiday 
is in the Christian calendar or Christian faith? It's Easter. You probably thought it was. If you did, that's correct. It's Easter. It's where Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, paid the penalty for our sins, rose again, and now we have eternal life offered to us simply through faith that grace responds to. It responds to my faith. That's what grace does. The second most important holiday is Christmas. Because that's when Jesus Christ came from heaven to save sinners. He arrives on the planet. He leaves heaven because he knows nothing is left on earth to redeem it. It must now come from heaven and it's him. The third most important uh, celebration, we would say, or a holiday in the Christian calendar is Acts chapter one and two. It's called Pentecost. It just means 50. 50 days after Easter. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Every year, 50 days post-Easter, is another birthday of the church. So the church begins on this day, in this momentous occasion, when Jesus is left and now his spirit comes to inhabit his church. It's a corporate experience. In Acts 2.18, we find another key to taking back God's blessings on the birthday of the church this message is preached. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy, which just means to speak God's truth, the gospel. You share the gospel, guess what you're doing? You're prophesying. He's saying, my spirit's gonna come upon you. And it did. But here's the key. He addresses us here. Even upon my servants, men and women. Great equalizing phrase. But it also tells us an identifier, a marker that's necessary for God to be fully blessing the church. And to be blessing you and to be blessing a nation. Servanthood. Just servanthood. I am not here, Lord, to get your power to serve me. I don't draw on these great gifts and talents that you've given me so in the end they actually just serve what I want. I am not here to walk any direction I choose. I am here, Lord, to be your servant. And Jesus said, if you want to know who the greatest are in my kingdom, it's the servants. Every Christian is called to be a servant. Everything in this world trains you and teaches you not to. Only serve where it ends up in your advantage. Don't serve where it would be disadvantaged. Don't serve uh, unless, unless, if it costs too much. Don't serve. This is where we here take very seriously a call upon you to be a servant. To know that God has wired you to be a part of something great he's doing in his, in his plan in our land, in our families, in our lives. 
He can only do it, though, through servants. He's saying, it's only in the servants that I will pour out my spirit. You want more of God's presence? You want more of God's spirit? You don't get it in a disobedience. You get it in obedience to servanthood. God, I am here to follow you. I am here to take my directions from you. Lord, my battle plans in life come from your headquarters. What I am going to be in my family, how I will act, I will act as a servant as you direct me to do. It's not about me self-preserving. It's about you carrying out your plan and purpose through me. You don't have to fight me anymore, God. You know, it seems like God has to always fight us to just get us to the point where he can use us. What a waste. Why not be in the place where God can just pour his spirit out upon you and then you can speak his truth. Speak it to your home. Speak it to yourself. A third thing that brings the blessings of God in this Acts chapter two on the birthday of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center, not on the peripheral. If a church is gonna live in the ongoing blessing and the deeper blessing of God, the gospel must be front and center. It cannot be on the peripheral. It must achieve the conversion of sinners because their hearts are taken up with the care of other souls. We can't stand the fact that eternity weighs in the balance and we have this beautiful knowledge and experience in our Lord and it's available to all and we would keep the news. We can't live in that environment. I give you a proposition. Let's have more of God's blessing upon this church because we pray for power, because we present our hearts in servanthood, because we keep the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center. To do that, you have to be committed to what is written in the scriptures and how it directs your life. That, yes, we are are sinners needing the grace of God and our faith appropriates or makes that grace ours, both for salvation, for eternity, but also for growth now. For we must have obedience to be bound to one another. One of the things that I think has been lost in modern Christendom is this idea that we are soldiers. But yet the Bible identifies very clearly that that's exactly what we are. We are soldiers of the cross. We're soldiers of Jesus. Not soldiers with swords in our hands. We are soldiers with the sword of God in our hands, which is the word of God. We are soldiers with the spirit of God in our hearts. We are soldiers that in servanthood are here to love and to win a world that is far from God by edifying each other and keeping each other strong because we stay bound to one another. We don't make our connections all about personality, a likeness, or fits. We do not make our connections with each other uh, about who's got to all come my way. No, no, we make our connections about with each other uh, strong because we know this is our brother, our sister in Christ. This is our fellow soldier. This is a fellow a warrior. We are fighting for their family. They're fighting for mine. We're fighting for each other. We're here to stand and encourage each other. We are not here to, dis, to, dis, to divorce ourselves from each other. We are here instead to stand and cover each other. 
It's not a program. It's an attitude of heart. You need to be bound to one another. You share the same faith in the same Lord. Now share the journey. Though your journeys be different, it's important to the other. In Acts 2.42 it says, they spent their time learning from the apostles and they were like family to each other. They also broke bread and prayed together. I know how uncomfortable it is. I recognize how impossible it seems at times to stay bound to one another. But this is where the servanthood kicks in. This is where what matters is the gospel of Christ at the center, praying for power, being bound to one another in the same fight together. You can't fix people, but you can help people. You cannot make decisions for them but you can influence them by your life and the wisdom and your love. You can support people. You can't do it all. What people need, they, it's not even good that you, that you should do it all. It's very important to be bound to them in the fight. Another thing that was a part of this birthday of the church and how we can enjoy the full blessings of God is that there was a joyful worship they had together. Joyful worship together. Marcel spoke about that and using the word gratitude today. Talked about how, you know, it's pretty easy to get into anxiety and worry and how gratitude is the condition of heart and mind that releases better things. Joyful worship is not based on, oh God, I am so thankful everything has gone good. But I am so thankful that you are here when things are not going good. I am so thankful I've got brothers and sisters that are bound to me. I am so thankful that I've settled the servanthood issue. I am so thankful that I know how to pray for power. I'm not working at being good at it. I'm just working at being honest-hearted about it and say, God... I really need you here. Sometimes I think in public prayer, people pray to hear themselves rather than for God to hear them. Prayer, servanthood, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the middle of everything, us bound together, a joyful worship where we are celebrating the Lord. It says in Acts 2, 46 to 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Joyful worship. Man, I love the worship of this church. I love the music, I love the servanthood, I love so much of what I've just talked about, so much of it. 
because I see it exemplified in you, in your heart, in your efforts, in your growth, that you don't just use grace to get saved, you're using grace to grow. I see it. I see it in so many of you. I see it in many of you that wouldn't even be here today. Maybe you're online or you're just not here this long weekend. Whatever, wherever it is, I have seen in this church these principles over and over and over again, but we must never get tired of them. We must never, ever walk away from them because they are the things that keep God's richest blessing upon us. Another one is sacrifice. Acts 2, 44 and 45, and all the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. You get prayer for power, you get servanthood work, and you get the gospel of Jesus always in the center. You be bound to one another. You have a joyful worship that's so attractive, and it is here. Then sacrifice gets easier. But sacrifice is where it costs us. Sacrifice just means it costs you for something else good to happen. It costs you. It's always going to cost you to achieve some good. There's always going to be, if you want good in your family, it's going to cost you. Your ego will take its hits. Your anger has to be subdued. You have to put God first in all of the trauma that you might face. You must be willing to pray for power and recognize the answers start in heaven and not on this planet. You must recognize that you are there to be a servant, that at the core of what you're doing is always taking the gospel forward. You've got to be bound to one another. You've got to have this idea that we are bound. I will not break that bound. Joyful worship together. Our home is not something that is not going to have an honoring of Christ. We will not be lazy in that. We will make sure that we incorporate joyful worship into our home. You can do that. I see many homes here that do work at this, and I know the blessing. It brings sacrifice, though. Sacrifice. To actually sacrifice, it costs me something for the good of something or someone else. Boy, that's, that's a bottom line word. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you know what he's saying there? Sacrifice. Just sacrifice. Pay the cost. For what? For your wife and, and, for, and, and, and for, for what? Do it the same way that Jesus did it, that Jesus did it for you and for the church. He's saying do it the same way because Jesus sacrificed. It cost him for you to exist as a church, for you to exist as a Christian. For you, he had to sacrifice. And he's saying to this husband at this point in time, he's saying, husband, just love your wives as Christ loved the church. <clears throat> and look at the word, and gave himself for it, sacrifice. When we get that attitude, even as a church, and we recognize that our hand and footprint in this region is really important, but it's gonna cost us.
The answers are not political. The answers are not in any of those things at all. The answer is in the heart of God. Its answers is in the heart of people. The answers are found beginning in heaven and they work their way into the Christian's heart and through the Christian into the hands and feet and the words and the actions in their homes, in their lives, in their churches, in their communities. We sacrifice. And then finally, take on our witness. You want God's full blessing, then don't be a witness for your own goodness, even for your own growth. It's nice to hear your testimony, but your testimony better be about God. Be a witness. You've got a story to tell. That story is what the Lord has done for you how he has raised you up out of the muck and mire of the self-centered way of doing life. How he has lifted you up and planted your feet on some firm ground and filled your heart with some purpose and some things that are beyond the scope of what any man can invent. That he has put you into an eternal fight that you can be bound together with other Christians in. Our witness He didn't say, I'm sending three of you around the world. He didn't say that at all. He talked to all of them. It's not just a few that are sent in a global way to every region of the planet. More or less, he's saying, wherever you're going to go and plant your feet, and some of you, I'm going to say, you're going to go over here, you're going to go over here, and you're going to do that. You are here now. Why are you here? I think you're thinking that right now. Why are you here? You are here because of God. He has plan and purpose in the moment. And he's called you to be a witness. If we want to see God's blessing upon our lives, upon our families, upon our church, upon our nation, then we have to be witnesses. We can't just stand back and declare or pray about a nation that we would like to see because we have in our hands and we have in our formation the ability to take the liberating message to other hearts. The problem in Canada is very simple. There is not enough people with surrendered hearts to Jesus Christ. They need Jesus. So when we pray, and when we look for change, you must come full circle to this final declaration. You are sent. You are here in a purpose. You are here to accomplish some things. Your family, you're there to be a witness. What are you a witness to? You are a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, the savior of your soul, that he has has, uh, declared your purpose, he has led you through the years if you've walked with him for a long time, and that it's his kingdom that will last and nothing on this planet will last. We are witness to there's one way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. There is one person that has come from heaven, that is Jesus Christ. All other religions don't declare somebody came from heaven, we do. 
Jesus Christ came from heaven so that you and I can be in the end as believers, witnesses to this world of the God who cares and has called each and every man, woman, and child to an eternal family. We are here to share the good news. We are here to love them. We are here to be bound together in that work, to serve for the strength of each other that we might be strong in the world and in the purpose of God. Acts 1.8. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't try and do this without the Holy Spirit. That means that everything we just talked about beforehand as, as a believer, you're doing. You want, you want to have, be a more powerful witness to your family, your heart goes out. You, you want to be more powerful, then you pay attention to prayer for power, your servanthood. You pray, pay attention to the gospel at the center of all that you do. You be bound to other Christians. You be bound in your local church. You be bound together. You have a joyful worship together with others that you are sharing the goodness of God and declaring him in this, in, in this world to each other. You have a sacrificial approach to life. If it costs me, it costs me. Big deal. If he gets the glory, if God fills heaven with one more soul, if God takes up one more vacant person because of something in my sacrifice, then all the glory to God. We are here to populate heaven. That's why we take on finally our witness. Some people always want to take on their witness but their own servanthood or they're not praying. It's not the Holy Spirit that's leading in this charge. It's just something they want but they will not take their lives and write their hearts before God. They don't want to get rid of Astarte's gods or Baal gods. They want to hang on to those gods at the same time in some incomprehensible way pleasing almighty God's call and design on our life. How do we do that? We can't. We use words like we need a revival. What is a revival? Is revival when the Christians feel good? Have emotional meetings? Is that revival? Revival is only measured in one way in history. When they record historical revivals, they only, they only do it in one way, two things. How the church is restored to edification because they live holy lives. Secondly, conversion of sinners. How the world turns to Jesus. Only those two things. That's how you have revival. The, the measures of revival are a church with the full blessing of God because they're done the things that we've just talked about. This church then is an amazing witness in their region and even globally touching around the world. Not so hard to do in the digital world, by the way, these days. Or in immigration world where we have a nation now that the world has come to us. Our witness is being effective. There are sinners that are coming to Jesus Christ and they are finding the glorious gospel of Christ which liberates them and heals their life and leads them into a prayerful life for power. Servanthood of Jesus. Serving the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ right at the center 
control all that they do. They are bound to each other. They are joyfully worshiping their God and they're sacrificing what they need to. All in, in that produces this amazing witness of the amazing goodness and power and love of God. Yeah, we need a revival. You can't produce it. You can't, you can't even just call for it. Because in the end, what it comes down to is revival is what you do. You want revival? Then do these things. You want revival in your family? Do these things. I guarantee you, do these things. Do these things. You'll get revival. Do it in your personal life, you'll get revival. We do it as a church, we'll have revival. I am so proud of this church in a good way. It has done many of these things and continues to do many of these things. And because of that, the fruit continues to build in your life and in the life of others through you. We still got a lot of work to do, so I have a proposition for you. Let's do revival. Together. You and I. And we just say, God, I'm just going to be on my knees just a little bit more and praying for power. Because I, I need heaven to change earth here. God, servanthood, I have seen my heart move this way. But Lord, I want your gaze to go to the very depth and recesses of my heart and reveal to me where my servanthood needs to learn yes and amen. Just a little bit deeper. God, I love Jesus. I admit that talking about him sometimes I get pretty tongue-tied. But Lord, I want you to hold me accountable to name your name proudly, to wear the badge of my faith clearly so that the questions are not about whether I'm a Christian but whether that person wants to be one. Lord, wherever I am not really bound to others, I do like my comforts. I tend to love my space. But I got something to bring to others and I know they got something to bring to me. So God, put a passion in me for others, brothers and sisters of faith. Not just when I'm in crises, but just the joy of having them in my life. Father, joyful worship with others. I'm not sure all that that means. 
but I want to be more joyful in all that I do. And may what I do be a worship to you. So may I do my life with joy and may I serve others and may that add up to some joyful worship together to you. And Lord, sacrifice. I choose it. I don't try to avoid it. I don't try to mitigate it, make it easier. I just, I'm grabbing hold of sacrifice. God, I want to pay the cost. You paid the cost, you sacrificed. I want to live out that model. And Lord, may it start in my heart with my family. May it start in my church. May it start in the place I work. May I have a sacrificial attitude that, yeah, it's going to cost me. But my God, every time I pay a cost, I know that that's an investment in heaven. And finally, I want it said at the end of my days, and I want it said to me when I come to you, but at the end of my days, I want it said. They lived their faith on this earth. They brought a little bit of the will of God into this planet. And then I want it said to me, when I cross the divide and go home to you, Father, I want to hear the words, well done. Good. And faithful. Servant. Let's stand together. We live in times where moderate Christianity might be appreciated by the few, but it will have little impact. Christianity lived as the first birthday of the church shows us is world changing. So change the world. Father, hear our cry and our prayer. Yes, our nation needs change. Yes, families need healing. Yes, there are many broken individuals. And we pray for your blessing upon our land, our families, and upon the brokenness in our whole land and in this world. But Lord, our prayer must first be this. I change that prayer to give me power, Father. I pray for it so that I can go out and I can be a great servant. I can preach and share and live the gospel in the middle. I will be bound and led to each other in deep, deep fellowship. I will have a joyful worship. I will sacrifice and pay the cost. And in the end, you get my witness. You are good, you are true, you are God, you are in charge, and you need to be in charge of my life. And through this, Lord, change the world that I can touch, that you've put me here to touch. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780 539 
or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.